Transcripts and recordings of the podcast may not be used for any purpose without the direct written permission of the podcast owner. Welcome to Light It Up, a podcast about resilient women balancing motherhood, their careers, personal lives, and all of the challenges that come along with being a superwoman. Each week, you'll be motivated to take action to lead, inspire, transform, and empower. Now, here's your host, Dr. Regina Mashira. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of Light It Up. I am your host, Dr. Agina Mashira. I am so excited about this week's episode because I have a very uh, interesting guest. I always try to find individuals who are going to have something powerful to share with my audience. And I think I've been successful this week. Uh, my guest is Mr. Algenoy Alexander, who is an award-winning motivational speaker, trainer, and peak performance consultant uh, who has made it his life's work to build the capacity of communities and organizations to create and sustain cultures that embrace diversity, building trusting relationships, and maximize performance through implementing restorative practices. That was a mouthful. Uh, but welcome to Light It Up, Algenoy. How are you? I'm excellent. I'm excited about being here. I've been looking forward to this conversation. So I have so many questions that I'd like to ask. I'm not going to jump right into the questions. Um, I want to give you an opportunity to tell my audience a little bit um, about yourself. Mention that you were a motivational speaker and trainer, but I'm sure that there's so much more uh, to Algenoy, I'd really love to learn how you um, decided to enter into this field of, of being a speaker, trainer, performance consultant, and what all of that means. So, um, That was an interesting question, how I got into the field. Um, I would say that I got into the field attempting to figure out what deficits that I had for myself and then figuring out ways to plug those holes. Um, I was a person that didn't necessarily have his father in his life. Um, I was initially raised on the west side of Chicago in an area called K-Town. What? Then, yeah, in an area called K-Town on right off of Costner. Yeah. And then, then I moved to an area called Little Village. Mm -hmm. I moved to an area called Inglewood. Oh. Then I moved to an area that they call the Wild Hunts. And throughout all of those areas, I saw a lot of the same things. I saw individuals who wanted more but they didn't necessarily have the know-how to attach to the desire so that they could get better outcomes. And my curiosity, I was always curious. I read everything I saw and I was always interested. And because I got into hip hop at such an early age, hip hop was a huge influencer for me. So there were certain things that I heard that kind of sparked and inspired me to be a lifelong learner. I still remember Karis once said, I don't eat chicken or hamburger because that's suicide self-murder. So what did that do? It caused me to look into eating foods and looking into my holistic health. So I started relatively young, adjusting my diet. Um, I remember listening to Nas. I remember listening to Public Enemy. I remember at one point, uh, there's a rapper by the name of Black Thought. He said that I'm a neuro-linguistic rap hypnotist. So I was like, neuro-linguistic rap hypnotist. So then I looked up neuro-linguistics and that 
sent me down a rabbit hole of studying and studying and studying. Uh, that path took me to college where I started doing my own seminars called Knowledge Yourself, the series at Northern Illinois University. Um, immediately upon graduating, I started my own uh, leadership development company called WiseWorks, where I've spoken to over 200,000 uh, individuals over the last uh, couple of decades. So um, I would just say that the, my path was really chosen based upon my desire for information for myself. Mm -hmm. and, and that whatever I learn for myself, I have a desire to teach others. So that really fuels me. Wow. So you touched on a few things here. First of all, the West Side K-Town connection. I'm a South Sider, grew up in Inglewood, but my parents, when they moved to Chicago, um, they met here in Chicago, but that's where they they resided, was on the West Side, K-Town. So familiar with that. Um, that makes sense based upon our previous conversation. That, that makes right. sense. Right. Yep. And then they moved from the West Side to Inglewood. Um, what I find interesting, and I, and I want to ask you about this, um, WiseWorks, how did you come up with that name and the knowledge of self, uh, seminars? What was, what was the, uh, premise behind that? I started the knowledge of self seminars, um, uh, when I was, when I first went to college, um, I was, like I said, I was hip hop and because I was into hip hop so much, that kind of introduced the, the, the gateway uh, to Pan-Africanism, studying myself. I remember when I was younger, you would see the black, the African medallions, you would see the Malcolm X hats. And because I was so interested in the Malcolm X hats, I started studying Islam and that connected me to Pan-Africanism. And I started seeing the more and more I studied my culture, the more pride I had in myself. So once I got to Northern, uh, to NIU, Northern Illinois University, some of the challenges that I saw in terms of um, the the black community working together, some of the deficits that I saw, I felt like Pan-Africanism, knowledge of self, studying our history is really an answer to that. Mm -hmm. So I partnered with one of the professors there, Dr. James Brunson, and literally once a month, we would do a subject that related to the community, whether it was natural hair, what are our standards of beauty, what is community activism? Right. What should we be doing for our community? How do we create standards? And I did all of this because one, I did it for myself because I was a lifelong learner. I was always challenging myself to get better. But as soon as I did that for myself, I had a desire to share that with my community. So that's where I started Knowledge of Self, the series. Mm -hmm. Upon graduating, I have uh, one of my good friends. His name is Yashua Claus. He's actually an amazing artist. He's doing a show over in Paris right now. We started a clothing line together. It was called Afro Money Angels. And in order to house that clothing line, we came up with an idea to have a company. And we said, what is that? What are we about? Wisdom, taking knowledge and applying it in the appropriate ways. And we call that wisdom, right? So, mm -hmm. but they say faith without works is dead. Right. So wisdom in action, wise works. Got it. All right. We can end right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you, uh, during college, had all of this experience with uh, facilitating these seminars. And did you, once you left NIU, did you decide this is something that you're going to continue to do? Or 
I, what, I did. What, okay. What's well, what sparked that? Um, when I initially graduated, I had a good friend of mine who graduated before me, and then she started working for a university. She became the assistant program director, and in looking for programs to bring to her students, she mm -hmm. remembered that I did seminars. So she immediately asked me, "Do I do seminars?" Of course, I said yes. And that was one of my, my first contracts with the university uh, right outside of college. Um, outside of that, um, someone saw me speaking doing a financial services seminar because I had partnered with the financial services company. And they said, you make financial services exciting. And it's really not about what you're saying, but it's how you say it and the way you convey information. They told me about a program that monster.com, I'm sure that old company monster.com, they were doing a program called Making It Count, where they, they hired speakers to go into the high schools and the colleges in order to show them how to transition and be excellent students. So I sent them a videotape. They flew me into Cincinnati. I certified for their programs, and they sent me all over the country uh, empowering students to make strong decisions. And when I realized I can do that for them, I decided to do it for myself. And I, st and I, and I started my own company. Makes sense. Okay. Um, and... So going into that, you also now, I think, go out to school districts, you train administrators, teaching um, teachers, their staff. You also provide programming and workshops for students as well. So can you talk a little bit about, because I in reading your bio, there was something that I came across uh, related to restorative practices. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's something that you focus on specifically for school community, school-based community, considering, you know, some of the challenges that we have within our communities, within our educational system in terms of discipline, things of that nature. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what that means with the restorative practices and how you go about training folks in that area? Absolutely. So just to give you a little bit of background information, um, I've been an educator for about 20 years. I started off, uh, while I had my own speaking company, I was also teaching math. And then I transitioned into uh, being a uh, assistant director of a high school on the west side of Chicago once again. And throughout my almost 20 years in education, I realized that really in order to be effective with our students, I needed more tools and I needed more strategies to make sure that I was shifting them into a more um, more positive, more empowering state. So in order to do that, I became trained in a lot of different uh, technologies, a lot of different strategies. One in particular, uh, neuro-linguistic programming, there's another timeline therapy, hypnotherapy, so on and so forth. And I used those strategies while I was the assistant director of a high school. And mm -hmm. I got some uh, really great results of building rapport with my students. So upon making my transition, I realized that restorative practices or the techniques that I was using is something that every community needs, whether it's a high school, whether it's a college, whether it's a corporation, every organization needs restorative practices. Uh, Restorative practices is essentially creating and sustaining communities of respect through trusting relationships, responsibility, and repairing harm whenever it happens. And I think that last piece is really critical, repairing harm wherever it happens. And I think that's something that 
our community really, really needed. And because of that, um, when I started doing consulting work for the various school districts in the area, they just took to it. Um, and it's more so because of my approach. I took all my trainings from neurolinguistic programming, timeline therapy, hypnotherapy, all of the things that really made me effective working with the youth. Mm-hmm. And I turned it into strategies that I could make transferable over to administration students as well as parents. Uh, one thing that I often talk about is we have expectations of our community. We have expectations of our teachers. We have expectations of our parents. But when you have expectations, you want to make sure that you're building their capacity to actually meet it. So if I'm going to expect our educators to try to reduce the school to prison pipeline, if I want to expect my our parents to know how to build up excellent scholars, if I'm going to expect our students to make more empowering decisions, then someone has to do something in order to build their capacity to do so. And my company and myself have, have taken on the goal, have taken on the task of building up their capacity to make strong decisions, repair communities through trust and relationships, but more importantly, repairing harm wherever it happens. Now, explain neuro-linguistic programming. I mean, obviously I can figure out what it means, but for those of us who may not know, what exactly does that mean? Um, What's the training that is involved and why is it important? Well, I would say the the people that you probably know, you probably never heard of neurolinguistic programming, but you know of a lot of people who utilize the technology who are trained in it, from Oprah to mm-hmm. Obama to Tony Blair to Bill Clinton. A lot of the individuals who are really influential and who know how to communicate in a way that gets people to take action, a lot of them are trained in neurolinguistic programming. So it's neuro, obviously, the mind. Linguistic is language. Programming is specific steps to ensure uh, specific outcomes. So utilizing the language of the mind in order to produce excellent results. When I think about NLP, it's something that I, I truly believe in. and It's something that I can use in any area. I can take someone, observe them, figure out how they're getting the results that they're getting. So if they're getting, if they're getting excellent results, mm-hmm. then by observing them using sensory acuity, observing the things that they're doing excellent, I can turn that into a process and then incorporate that as well as teach others. But it also works in reverse. I've done a lot of, uh, I've coached a lot of C-level executives. I've coached for a lot of different companies. And one thing that I'm really good at is identifying why a person is not achieving their goals. So the first thing that I'm listening for, through listening to their language, what are their limiting beliefs? What are their limiting actions that's determining their outcomes. And then once I'm able to identify the limiting beliefs, the limiting limiting actions, the limiting emotions through coaching and using a lot of different therapeutic processes, we eliminate, we identify and eliminate those limiting beliefs, actions, uh, and results so that now they're fueled in order to move towards their compelling future that I know that they deserve. But it goes, but it's really about that process of identifying What's the limiting thing that they believe? What's the limiting actions that they're taking? What are the limiting emotions that they're having that's determining that their current trajectory? And then ensuring that we have a process to change that. You know, as you were speaking, I was thinking about when we had our initial meeting and we were talking about some of the areas in which um, I could utilize your services. 
And um, I recall you asking me about my expectations of my team mm -hmm. and the language that I use. And so I've been very cognizant of that when making a request or stating what I, the outcome that I like, mm -hmm. making it very clear. And the example that I believe I gave, because I think you asked me um, if I set the expectations or, or something, I don't re recall the exact question, but I recall that my response was that I said, I would like for them to do X, Y, Z. Yes. Yeah. I remember we were talking and you were getting some, you were not getting the results that you wanted um, exactly. aspects of, of, of your, of your team. Mm -hmm. And my question was, did you specifically articulate what those expectations were, right? Because right. if you don't, if you're not clear about what the expectations are, then it's very difficult for a person to meet those expectations. So a lot of it is based on language um, and clear communication. And obviously you were, you were extremely coachable because as soon as we talked about it, you quickly made that shift. So. Yes, I am coachable. Says a lot. I'm a great student. I'm going to scoop my own horn there for a moment. Um, in terms of um, the your background, as far as being in education for 20 years, and um, you were at a high school, correct? Yes. Okay. How do you transfer that experience in working with high school-age students, for example, Um to working with those who are in college, because I know you also work with various universities um, across uh, the country. Yes. And also with working with leaders. I mean, it's all transferable, but how do you as a practitioner make sure that you are reaching your audience in the appropriate way? That's a really good question. Um... Sometimes we believe that the young person is different from the elder and they're different from the parent. Ultimately, when it comes down to decision-making, all decisions that we make fall into the same categories. Mm -hmm. um, so I call them class one, two, three, uh, four decisions. Class one is something that feels good, but it's good for you, it's good for others, and it's good for the greater good. All the way down to a class four, that doesn't feel good, it's not good for you, it's not good for others, and it's not good for the greater good, right? We all fall, we all make our decisions that fall under those same categories, but more importantly, the driving forces that that under that, that fuel our decisions are all the same. The human needs that we're attempting to meet. And when we're not meeting those needs, then often we we may use inappropriate ways to meet those needs, even though. It's for under for underlying positive reasons. Just for example, a person may, for example, I'm, I'm sure you've seen people in your in, when you were younger in class. They may be a class clown, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there may be people who are in your business meeting who are always raising their hands, cracking jokes, right? Yeah. The underlying reason it may be because they're attempting to get some attention. They want recognition. They want people to see their uniqueness. That is the same from when you're a child all the way up to the day that you transition. Everyone needs recognition. 
The only question is, are you going to meet the need for recognition in an appropriate or an inappropriate way, right? Another thing, uh, one thing that we all need is the need for safety, the need for consistency, the need for predictability. It's the reason why some people work out every day, right? Because they want to know that they're going to look a certain way. And that could be positive. But people still meet that need for consistency, predictability, in negative ways. It's the reason why you may see someone stay on their job for 40 years, even though they hate it. You may see someone stay in a toxic relationship. Why? Because the devil that they know is better than the one that they don't. So they'd rather stay in that, that same relationship, right? So until you raise their awareness around why they're making that decision, it's gonna, you're not giving them uh, options, right? So raise their consciousness around why they're doing it. Now you're giving them more options on how to meet that need in more constructive, more appropriate ways. So the human needs, the driving forces behind why we do what we do, it's the same whether you're a baby or an elder. And that's why those core values are mm -hmm. transferable to all those areas. We're all, we're all driving off of the same things. Okay. So what are the types, uh, different types of um, workshops that you, um, that you facilitate specifically for students? Really, it's really wide ranging, to be honest with you. Um, I, li I like to consider myself a person that customizes, mm -hmm. uh, speaking to the particular school and identifying specifically what, what they're looking for. But I will say some of the general workshops that I work on is, is social emotional learning, um, career, career readiness, um, le leadership, um, and all the areas centered around how to take yourself from the A where you are now Mm -hmm. to the Z where you perceive yourself to be. That could be uh, conflict resolution. So it shows up in a wide variety of ways, but anything that impacts the mind of a young person, I have a workshop tailor-made for them. And for those who are interested in having you come out to their school districts to either work with their staff or their students, how would they uh, go about setting something up with you? Do you go out and conduct a needs assessment, meet with administrative staff first, figure out what services would be best for their population? I'd say the easiest way is to reach out to me through email, algenoy at gmail.com, A-L-G-E-N-O-Y at gmail.com. And then what we would do is we would set up some time to have a conversation so we can figure out exactly what it is, what are the challenges that you're having, what goals that you're attempting to uh, have so that I can assist you in that process. So send me an email. We'll set up a time for us to actually talk and dialogue, and then we'll make sure those goals get achieved. All right. Something that I just thought about just crossed my mind there. I was thinking about, um, is our paths actually crossed probably about a year ago? I heard you speak. Um, at a scholarship reception we did. We did. or we did. ceremony because my son was a recipient of a $10,000 scholarship, which helped me out That's tremendously. Very impressive young man. And I remember being just absolutely amazed by your talk um, because it was very engaging. I mean, the population of the audience was consistent of 
young adults, their parents, but it seemed like you reached everyone in that audience. That, that was, and that was de very deliberate and intentional on my part. Um, whenever I'm putting a keynote together, especially when we're recognizing someone, I think mm -hmm. uh, the thing that a person really wants to hear, they want to hear their story inside of your message. And I think as opposed to coming with a cookie cutter approach, I made sure that I asked about every individual student to make mm -hmm. sure that if they heard my speech, they would hear something about themselves. Um, so I don't take a cookie cookie cutter approach when it comes to delivering a keynote. When it comes to a workshop, I don't take a cookie cutter approach. I make sure that, like you said, I do a needs assessment and figure out exactly what population I'm speaking to so that when we both walk away from that message, we're both feeling empowered. That's that's great to know because um, I, I think it is very important for you to reach your, your audience. Um, I've had opportunities to speak and I've found that when you share a piece of yourself, you know, how you came to a certain, you know, position in life, whether it was um, an area of conflict and you were able to overcome that conflict, there's going to be someone who can relate to your story. Um, and transparency, I think, is very important with a little bit of uh, discretion. We don't have to be too transparent. <laughs> but when you are preparing for keynotes or um, workshops and facilitating uh, workshops, do you have a, um, a specific method in which you're preparing for each one of these activities? Is there yeah. some type of routine that you go through? I have a little secret sauce for sure. Okay. Absolutely. okay. Uh, one thing that I do, once again, once I have a conversation with the person or a company that's bringing me in, and I am a spiritual person, and I do have my spiritual practices. I meditate. Um, I do a lot of meditation. And often, when I meditate on a subject, that's when I, re I receive what we call downloads. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what, what's going to be the thing that is going to give the most impact? And I'm a pretty confident person, but I am humble to the fact that all of the ideas that come that I, that come out of me, sometimes they come through me and they're not necessarily my own. So I'll say that um, that's a very important part of my process, really downloading, listening, meditating so I can listen, so I can get that really unique message that I know someone's gonna be impacted by. So that's really important to me. But that is, that's part of the, my secret sauce. Not so, okay. not so secret sauce. Thank, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I don't want you to give away too much of your secret sauce now. <laughs> um, okay. For the parent end, I'm just looking at some of the um, areas in which you provide support to, to individuals. There's the focusing on the achievement gap, wellness, culture and climate, and then parent and family engagement. Sure. Now, parent and family engagement is something that is very important to me. Um, because I believe uh, there has to be a partnership between parents and the educational system. Um, what, uh, what's your, I guess, what type of workshops do you facilitate to help parents 
um, understand the importance of becoming engaged. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes parents don't know how to engage appropriately or to even advocate yes. for, for their children. Do you, uh, do you help parents in this area? Because that's very, very important. I do. I do. Uh, I'm a parent myself. So I'm a parent of a, I have two children. I have one, I have a 20 year old who is currently a chemical engineering major at the university of Illinois. And I also have a 10 year old uh, who's in private school. So you see, there's a, mm -hmm. obviously there's a gap. But one thing I can definitely tell you is um, neither one of them came with a parenting manual. Right. So in order for me to be the best parent that I could be, um, I had to do research, I had to study, I had to find other parents who I thought were successful, model some of their behaviors. And I think the thing that has made me successful thus far is really based upon three different areas. One is the mindset, understanding that I'm always lifelong learner. I'm always looking for ways to improve. I'm, I'm always looking for new strategies to implement with my children. So I talk to parents, um, new parents, uh, veteran parents on how to have the right mindset, especially the mindset if they're going to be engaging with the institutions that their children are a part of. Once you have the right mindset, you still need the next step. The next step is really having the appropriate language, being able to communicate your, your messages even when you're frustrated. So I talk about shifting a harmful language into more restorative languages. And I train students, uh, administrators, teachers on the exact same thing so that we can all have common language. So that when a parent comes up to the school and it's, and it's a tough situation, mm -hmm. they have the language to communicate to the administration. They have the language to communicate to the teachers. They also have the language to communicate with their young person because wherever there's no a lack of language, I'll show you a, a disconnect. So then there's the mindset, there's a language, but then there's also putting systems in place that maximize, maximize your parenting, maximize your student, maximize your relationship uh, with the school that your children attend. So it's really focused on those three areas. And mm -hmm. those are the three areas that I work with all stakeholders. I work with parents in those three areas. I work with the school in those three areas and I work with students in those three areas. Do you ever, let's say <clears throat> you're at a school and you're working with those three populations, do you ever bring them together? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. We, that's when we do um, like town hall meetings. Because mm -hmm. I think that's important. I think it's important to work with them separately. Yes. Then bring them together so that they can hear each other's voices and ask each other questions. But ask each other questions in a way where now you're open to receiving the answer, right? Because it's important to know where the students are coming from, making sure that the administration knows where the parents are coming from. And I think that's important for that to happen at times, all in the same space. Okay. All right. And you, I assume, which I probably shouldn't assume, but is there, do you only, you work with both middle school, high schools, K through 12? I work with all of them. All. Oh, okay. Private, public corporations, education. But um, but I'm referring, I'm sorry. Let me be clear in my language <laughs> when it comes to working with yes. students, staff, and parents. Mm -hmm. Yes. I would imagine that's K through 12 model. But let's say for 
college age students. It's for college as well. Okay. Remember, I was doing a um, parent university, or mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if I should be naming the colleges here. Is that okay? Well, I, I did a parent university, for example, for for UIC. Okay. They brought. They knew that they were bringing in their new students. Mm-hmm. It was important for us to work with their parents as well, so that they can understand what their students are going to go through, how they can best support their students on their journey through yeah. enhancing education. So that's just an example of it still okay. works at the college level as well. Okay. And, and I will, as, as a parent of, uh, (laughs) college age, young adults, um, I, I think it's important for parents to understand or have someone to talk to them about that transition and what to expect because your parenting also changes, um, when, when your student enters into college. So, I'll speak for myself. I've found that I've become more of an advisor to my son and daughter versus, you know, before when they were under my roof. I'm setting the expectations, telling them you do X, Y, Z. But I think I've instilled enough into them where they will ask my opinion or, you know, we'll share, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. What do you think? Um, and I think I've done a pretty good job with transitioning from, think you know. <laughs> I think you have. I, I know you have, in fact. Um, it's, when you're making that transition, one thing I talked to my daughter about was about the idea of a board of directors. And she knew that I was always part of her board of directors. But now, more than ever, I'm part of your board of directors. My job is to go out and get you resources. Mm-hmm. to enhance your company, right? And hold you accountable because I have a um, buy-in right. for your success, but I can't dictate and tell you what to do because it is your company. But I'm on your board of directors and my job is to help you and facilitate your goals and your dreams. And I'm there 100%. That's awesome. Your children are blessed to have that type of you know relationship input because so many of our young people honestly they you know when it comes to um that transition into college for example i hear so many um parents who say well they're 18 they're on their own they're you know and not still there standing in the gap to provide the advice the resources you know, that their young adults need. Sure. So. I think that's a challenge, unfortunately, that many, um, when I say our community, um, Mm -hmm. specifically, uh, you know, black and brown individuals, I think that's something, specifically black, I would say that that's something that um, I think we need to reassess that idea of now you're 18 and you're grown, right? And now you can go out on your own. That actually happened. But I think we need to kind of reevaluate that idea knowing that they're very much still part of the process. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, I'm constantly learning and growing so that I'm equipped to assist my daughter and eventually my son as they transition into adulthood. And I plan, where, I'm going to be there for a while. Where do you think that thinking came from in our community? I think that, unfortunately, when we think about cultures, uh, the idea of uh, the enslaved individual, I think that's where you lose some of the principles mm-hmm. that we 
historically had uh, when we were in other locations and other places. So unfortunately, I think that uh, some of that um, is based upon our enslavement, some of the culture that um, that was thrust upon us, unfortunately. But I do think that we're uh, we have enough power and enough knowledge at this point to make those transitions and then make those changes. Um, when you are when you lack resources, sometimes you're often looking for relief. So you're 18. I barely have enough to take care of these people. So now that you're 18, let me push you out the nest. So I think as we develop more resources, uh, as we should, I think the idea of releasing our children so early um, will start to adopt a different mindset. You know, I was thinking about uh, with my institution in particular, um, we have our Black population is roughly 8%, although this year we uh, had a record number of um, Black students who were admitted first-time freshmen and enrolled, so the, the numbers were up by 28%. But I've had conversations in the past, um, just, you know, over the last year, as I was going through this process with my own son and daughter of applying to college, and they applied to UIC, they applied to several state schools, but they made the decision to attend an HBCU in North Carolina. And I recall um, being asked, what can we do to get your son and daughter here at UIC? Well, the first was the financial aspect because I have a set of twins. So financially, I've got to look at the big picture in terms of what am I going to have to expend for them to get their um, college degree. So that was number one. But I recall saying that in our community, we promote um, for our children to go away versus stay here with UIC being known as a commuter campus. When I look at other populations of students who are enrolled at UIC, particularly Latinx, their culture, their environment is different. You will have um, multiple members of families living together, whether it's in a um, multi-family home, right? Where they're supportive of one another, et cetera. And it goes back to what you said about um, not having the resources to be able to, you know, take care of an 18-year-old. Got to push them out. And I remember saying that I wanted my son and daughter to go away so that they could grow up, so to speak, and not rely or be so dependent on me. Because if they were here, you know, they know they have that safety net here and they can pick up the phone or ask for assistance or what have you. And, um, but with them being away, they know that they still have support. Okay. But, but I just, you know, was just thinking about how in our community, that's the one thing that I hear. Well, I don't want my child to go to UIC because then they'll still be at home or, you know, does it make sense for them to live on campus? I want them to go away and experience life. Yeah, I, I think that's a philosophy. And I think both of those can work. 
I think as long as you have a long-term objective that mm-hmm. this is what we're working towards, how you get there can be very specific to your young person. So you may be, uh, when it, your child may need initially, need to be more local. You may see something in terms of their maturity level. Um, you may have observed that in terms of decision-making, maybe they still need you a little bit more. Another person may need to experience, um, they may be more autonomous and they may be ready. So I think there's no cookie cutter approach to any of it. And I think whatever decisions you ma- you make need to be very particular to the child that you have and the goals um, that you have. Yeah. And we shouldn't make, I, I don't think we should make people feel guilty for the decisions that they make either. I operate under the position that people are doing the best they can with what they have. And if I desire them to do something different, then what and what role am I going to play in building their capacity to do something different? But outside of that, I truly believe that people are making the best decisions that they can based upon what they have and where they are at the time. Absolutely. Um, as we kind of wind down, um, is there anything in particular that you're working on that we should be looking out for in terms of services that you provide? Will you be speaking anywhere anytime soon? I'll be speaking at a lot of places, but there's some things that I'm working on in terms of, I'm working on audio projects. Um, I am a poet. Um, I obviously speak, so I'm working on quite a few products. So I look forward to rolling those out and hopefully I'll get the, um, there'll be an extension of what I do, an extension of um, being a thinker, an an extension of me being, having an African community mindset. It'll be an extension of the restorative practices that I teach. It will be an extension of hip hop, which can take a lot of credit for, for who I am as a person. Um, it'll represent the, the two children that I have and who I am in order to influence them to be the best person that they can be. So it'll be all of those things infused. So I look forward to rolling those things out. All right, well, keep us posted. Uh, some things um, that you have coming up. I definitely will. Um, Where can people find you and connect? People people can find me on, um, I'm Al Janoy Alexander on all social media platforms, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, still on Facebook. I know it's old, but I'm still on Facebook. Facebook um, is not old. It's not old. Not old. <laughs> so I'm on Facebook as well, LinkedIn, Snapchat. You can find me on YouTube. You can find me on all of the uh, all the platforms under Al Janoy. Uh, you go to my website, aljanoyalexander.com, aljanoyalexander.com. And if you're interested in setting up, um, whether you work for an organization, if you're interested in talking, feel free to reach out to me through email, aljanoy at gmail.com. Or if you're interested as an individual who's looking to really achieve some great things in life and you just need some insight into what's keeping you from doing so. Let's set up a consultation and we can go from there. But but I'm excited to hear from you. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk to uh, to talk to me and share with my audience a little bit um, about your background and what you do. I know we focused more so on the school aspect sure. and not so much as the individual, you know, coaching. But that means that you'll have to come back to be my guest and we can talk about. I'll be honored. 
you always make conversations pretty easy. So, so I'm, I'm excited about it. I, that, that is my goal. Yeah, so yeah. thank you so very much for um, tuning in and you, Algenoy, for being my guest. Uh, greatly appreciate it. But thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in to this week's episode of Light It Up. As always, don't forget to like uh, and subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, Facebook. Also, you can check out the uh, podcast on all streaming platforms. So that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, even on Amazon Music. So um, make sure you check it out and uh, subscribe so that you'll receive notifications whenever a new episode is released. And I wish you all a great week. Be productive in everything that you do. And uh, I will see you next week. Check out the podcast to see what very interesting guests that I have on the show. So until next time, remember to continue to light it up and shine bright like a diamond. Thanks for joining me this week on Light It Up. Make sure you visit my website at www.lightituppodcast.com or www.ajinamohammed.com. You can also find me on social media using the handle at Light It Up Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or you can simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next time, light it up and shine bright like a diamond.